Hi, y'all. Brian Bell from LGBT in the Ring here. I just wanted to, before we get underway with the show this week, just give everyone a uh, content warning for this show. Um, Near the end, roughly about the 40 to 42 minute mark, there are uh, discussions of sexual assault um, in the show. Just wanted to give everybody a heads up. lovelies and welcome to another edition of lgbt in the ring your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling i am your host brian bell here with you once again on the out sports podcast network and um we're gonna do uh something fun today uh you know in the past uh myself and my partner kc have talked through events and matches and this is another case of that today um so you know we've been watching some some wrestling obviously but <laughs> but no like the, this past couple of weeks have produced some really awesome uh, events including on valentine's day where you know we were watching camp leapfrogs camp love frog uh which by the way it's still life and effie uh top-notch uh, main event there yeah that was really fun yeah that whole event was great um but on uh, that same night there was a monumental match, uh, the Iron Match, pitting Trisha Dora, the Pan-African World Diaspora wrestling champion. It's Trisha Dora going up against Tony Deppen, uh, putting, being put on uh, by Beyond Wrestling at the H2O Wrestling Center in New Jersey and being sponsored by Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It aired live on YouTube um, on the same night as Camp Love Frog, so we didn't get to check that out uh, live. So we went back and watched it and uh, decided to hop on the mics for a little bit here to talk a little bit about the match. Um, I guess first off, Casey, welcome back to the show. Thank you. How are you doing? Mm, I'm sleepy tonight. Oh, no. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. You know, I'm great at... We we literally just uh, watched the match, um, so you know sometimes sometimes hour long matches can be a little wearing. But I would say this was just for me personally. This one was one of the better um, iron matches. I'm you know I'm not gonna get into the nomenclature of everything until a little bit later. But this was one of the better um, iron matches that I've seen in in my watching of pro wrestling um but of course you know there was a bit of trepidation coming to you saying hey do you want to sit down and watch this 60 minute match um at least for me personally but that that's just my own anxiety what did you what did you think um whenever you first heard that trish and and tony deppin were going to be doing this this 60 minute match I mean, you told me a little bit about it, and um, I thought it was interesting just because I I don't think that we had really talked about iron matches before this, so um, it was kind of like, an it was a little bit of an introduction for me, um, just to that concept, and um, 
just the idea of doing intense physical acrobatics like that for an hour um, blows my mind, I guess. So um, I was curious, you know, just to see how it would end up playing out. Yeah. Um, and just not having ever seen an iron match before, all I could say is fight forever. God damn it. <laughs> no, but it was really good though, actually. Like, even though I was I'm I'm like super sleepy tonight for whatever reason, um, it's still like it had my intention the entire 60 minutes. And when you first told me like 60 minute match, I was worried that I wouldn't be able to uh keep focused um on it. But I really didn't have that issue. It was a really interesting match. Um they started out slow of course because it is a 60 minute match um but i i appreciated the build-up um just throughout the entire um show no for sure and 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 i really like that even though it started slow it still had an intensity to it which is Mm -hmm. not something you always get in these type of matches i it's you know i laugh whenever you invoke the terry funk commercial from gcw fight forever uh, right there, because Jesus, that's going to haunt every person who tuned into that show's dreams for the rest of their lives. But um, I didn't even watch that much of it, and it haunts my dreams. So. There's a reason why they set a donation goal to take that commercial out of the rotation on that event, which they did meet that donation goal near the end of the show. So, but yeah, I think the last couple hours we didn't have to deal with Terry Funk telling us to fight forever and ever and ever. Um, but it is interesting that you do invoke Fight Forever because that was the last time that we had a high profile iron per, iron match. Um, mm. Because at that and this, and I don't even know if you noticed this, because you were I was watching the match between it was Tony Deppen and Jordan Oliver in a iron an iron match for the uh, Synergy Wrestling Championship at Fight Forever, and that match ended up going two hours. Oh, you know, actually, I do remember that i didn't watch that whole i didn't watch the whole match though yeah no you you were like popping in and out of the room yeah while i was watching it but that was like that that was basically sort of a, a similar similar uh style of how this was worked as well not maybe not necessarily as ground-based um there was but it was definitely that same like slow build up mm. to these very dramatic moments and this sort of thing and you know that is that is the formula most of the time um but not every iron match is created equal um i will say that much and not to not to compare that match to this match to the the fight forever match mm-hmm. but more so at looking at the history overall of iron matches because mm-hmm. like and this is a personal thing for me because the iron match is something that really was like the final uh, nail in me becoming a big pro wrestling fan. Um, hmm. My first pay per view twenty Jesus Christ twenty five years ago at this point <laughs> uh, was WrestleMania twelve, and that ma- that show is most well known for the main event, which was the first Iron Match in WWE history hmm. between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, where they went over an hour. That match ended in a 0-0 tie, and then they went to overtime, and Shawn Michaels won, won his first WWE Championship. All the the good lore there. So, Iron Matches have always been near and dear to me. For the longest time, that match specifically was my favorite match of all time. Mm -hmm. And so, anytime that you trot out the Iron Match stipulation, I am 
usually here for it, but I also have a very high standard, personally, um, whenever I'm watching these matches, and they haven't all delivered, um, and they've been fairly fairly um, rare in, in comparison to some other style of matches. Um, one match that also stands out when looking at the history of iron matches would be like Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle from that era, as well as more recently, um, Sasha Banks and Bayley had a, a 30 minute iron match, um, mm-hmm. for the NXT women's championship. That was very, very, uh, beloved, um, by the wrestling community. So it's been interesting to see this style of match kind of break out into the indie circuit as well in this way, where you have so many different workers that, that can really use this stipulation to its, to its best extent. Mm-hmm. In, in many ways, it's not just a WWE thing or a major wrestling promotion thing anymore. And I really like the story going into this match as well as the story within it. Because basically, as um, you know, Denver, Colorado, on commentary said, like this whole thing was set up because after that two-hour match with Jordan Oliver where Tony Deppin lost, he wanted to... He wanted another one. He wanted another Iron Match, and it turned out that he decided to challenge a woman because he wanted to have the first ever uh, mixed gender uh, Iron Match. And Trisha Dora ended up being the person to answer that call. Mm. I was under the impression that this match was actually for the Pan-African World Diaspora uh, Wrestling Championship, um, but I think that was just something I concocted in my head. (laughs) Because it definitely was not the case. That that whole name was not uttered a single time during the broadcast, which was interesting to me. Yeah. Um, it's like, that's what she's known for. Or at least that's how I know her. Yeah. And especially whenever you invoke the tournament where she won the championship back at Fight Club last February. You know, like at the very beginning of the match, you know, uh, DC was talking about on commentary about, you know, Trish had never had a match this long before. And the only time that she had really wrestled for an extended amount of time in one night was at that tournament at Fight Club where she won the Pan-African World Diaspora Wrestling Championship. So I thought it was very interesting that the title was not named in that in that, in that little sequence there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that landed with you, per se. I mean, just not having watched a lot of wrestling throughout the years. Like, it didn't... I just I don't I don't know like how often or like whether um announcers always will announce that type of stuff so um it like I said it was odd just because that's how I um know Trisha Dora um but I don't think I have that full context to like really be like why didn't they mention it cuz it just it it seemed natural to me I guess um, because of my lack of experience or depth within the wrestling world, if that makes sense. No, it, it does. And I'll be real, like, there was a, a different era where that sort of stuff would not be talked about across promotions, you know, mm. I think. But in the era that we're at now, like, this, yes, this match was, like, put on by Beyond, but they held the match at a school that of a promotion that is not Beyond. They held it at H2O. And we've seen a, a lot of uh, cooperation between independents um, in this day and age. There's even even at the major level now with AEW working with New Japan and Impact, and and there's even bleed over there hmm. between major companies. So I, it's not that I'm like faulting DC for not mentioning it. It's just more so that like I was I was surprised because I figured like that would be 
really like if you're trying to build Trish to an audience that may not be as familiar with her, mm-hmm. that is one of the main ways because like there are so many people out there that have been very vocal about viewing that belt as the world championship, mm-hmm. and it has a very large cachet. She's held it for over over a year at this point now. She's had a numerous uh, outstanding defenses of that belt. Um, I just thought it would be a, a good thing to, to mention to kind of communicate the ability that Trish had. Even though, honestly, by like the 20-minute mark, you didn't need that to communicate the ability because it was on full display. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious. Like We haven't watched a ton of stuff that's more mat-based, per se. Like, um, So I'm curious to get your take on how the match unfolded itself because like, a lot of this was was mat based not a lot of running ropes nothing really off the top rope at all until the very end of the match Mm -hmm. what was it like for you to what was your opinion of of a match work that style very much more ground-based middle of the ring i mean i like that type of groundwork um i've seen it more in other martial arts that i've done um, in the past, much more than wrestling. Like it happens in wrestling every once in a while, or I mean, not necessarily every once in a while. It happens frequently, but not uh, for that ex- extended amount of time, or of course, not that much in one match. And there were so, so, so many submission positions that just had me cringing internally because they just look so uncomfortable, and you'd have to be just incredibly flexible to even like be in that position. First off, much less trying to not submit um over however many seconds that probably feel like like long stretches of time um so yeah it was just really impressive seeing that um i also really liked how uh they both kept matching each other's energy Mm. throughout uh the entire match um and i really saw that in the submissions like one would pin the other in a certain way, um, and then the other would take that exact same style and uh, just, like, immediately turn it around, essentially. So it was just fun to see that back and forth. Yeah, I mean, that was just the them going back and forth, that whole, like, tit-for-tat sort of, sort of wrestling style was really uh, fun to watch. It's, it's one of the things I really love about Matt based wrestling is just like whenever you have someone that can match that intense that intensity or two people that can match that intensity in the ring and can really maneuver into those different things um it's a, a beautiful thing to watch mm-hmm. um but yeah i i just god it was just that so much about this match was was so good like the fact it's very hard sometimes to work a, a matte based style that keeps um a large swath of of fans interested and granted this this match happened in a in an empty building you know there weren't fans in the building to to watch it but you know plenty of people tuned in on youtube um many people have gone back to watch this match after it um i don't know like it's just there's something to commend them for being able to work that style but still captivate an audience that isn't in that building. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, I know the audience is really important just for bringing that energy um, to the show. Um, and there were some people who were um, doing different cheers and everything like that throughout the show. But um, 
I didn't feel like I was necessarily missing it. I still felt like that energy was there for me. Even without a super vocal audience. No, I, I'm with you there. Like, I, I I felt it. Like, I was I was hyped. I You're was... probably much more used to having an audience, though, than I would be. Cause I mean... a lot of the wrestling I've watched, especially, you know, given this last year, has actually been without an audience. So... <laughs> I mean, yes, I I am more used to watching it with an audience. With an audience, I mean, twenty four of the twenty five. I keep saying twenty five years, and it just feels so odd. But yes, twenty four <laughs> of the twenty five years that I've watched pro wrestling have mainly been with audiences. But I've also really enjoyed um, the the changes that have come with um, working uh, in the pandemic as well, like seeing wrestlers. Um, evolve and adapt mm-hmm. to be able to continue telling these matches, uh, telling these stories and having these matches that can still like reach through a screen and just grab you by the collar and force you to pay attention with, with an intense gaze on them. And um, this one was one of the better ones I would say for me. Um, I think for me, like part of the reason why um, uh it was still really engaging was both wrestlers just had excellent facial expressions um, just throughout the entire match. So um, I don't know. That really stuck out to me also. Oh, for sure. I mean, you, there are, you'll be hard pressed to find two people in pro wrestling now that have better facials and better emotional uh, invocation within a wrestling match than Tony Depp and Trisha Dora. Um, Trisha Dora has, is able to convey so much emotion through just her face and mm-hmm. Tony Deppin does that as well, but he is also one of the most vocal people in the ring mm-hmm. in going today. And the dude is just a trash talk machine. <laughs> yeah. And, definitely noticed that. <laughs> yes. And I, and I love him for it. He's, he's so good. Um, even if he is dropping F-bombs where they don't want him to drop F-bombs, <laughs> um, but, but no, I, I just, I don't know. It, and, and that aspect of Tony really kind of kept things rolling during those moments where normally whenever you would like roll out of the ring to maybe get a little bit of a breather, but also kind of get some heat from a crowd that would be there, you know, get some booze, get some ire. Mm-hmm. Um, him being able to kind of still vocalize um, in a somewhat heelish way and, you know, go over to commentary and talk to DC, um, you know, and, and kind of heal it up a little bit over there like he found different avenues to to um use that part of his repertoire to, to kind of keep that sort of energy going between the two of them um which i really like to see and that of course ended up bringing trish out with with vocals as well to the point that, i mean they're just at the end of this match they're just screaming and knocking each other's blocks off mm-hmm. um after wrestling for 50 minutes i jesus um, were there any specific moments in, in the match proper that, that stood out to you above others? Um, I really liked the very long sequence of punching each other. I don't know why that specifically, because like, it's not like I haven't seen that in shows before, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There was just something about this match, like all the build up to it, what you were just mentioning with Tony get, going out of the ring um, to sort of build that energy until... They are finally just exchanging blow to blow 
up until when Trish starts punching him repeatedly without him being able to get any blows back. Um, that really stood out to me. Um, just ki- kind of as a kind of a, I mean, one of the many, I don't think climax is the right word, but, um, I mean, it's like a mini, a mini climax. In a way. Yeah. I mean, it's a match that has multiple pin, m- multiple falls in it. Like you're going to have those like little bits and pieces of those moments in there. Cause it always has like a feeling of climax after someone gets a pinfall. Yeah, that's true. You know, so it makes sense that you would have those moments. And even in like one fall matches, like you, like you have those striking exchanges, you have like the submissions where they get to the ropes where we saw multiple times that happening here in very um, inventive ways, like people's bodies being bent in, in, in all different ways, shapes and forms um, before getting to rope breaks or breaking out of, submissions and that sort of thing like the the match is full of that and i think that's one of the things that kind of keeps you wanting to push through it because like this did not feel like an hour it didn't yeah no like by the time we were at 30 minutes in like it's only i was like it's, it's been 30 minutes already <laughs> <laughs> like it, like i could have sworn we'd only been watching for about 10 15 you know um and that's that's a credit to to both trish and tony because um you know, there have definitely been some iron matches that a uh, drag. Mm. Um, the one that sticks out in my head mostly, John Cena, Randy Orton, um, both outstanding wrestlers. That match was boring, uh, <laughs> personally. So, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge to, to do that sort of thing. And I, I don't know. I, I like the point of like bringing up these like sort of mini climaxes in there because it, it just keeps the ball rolling and it cre- and makes those moments whenever you do get to the pinfalls and stuff have that much more impact. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, I mean, we can get a little bit more into some of the specific moments of the match here because we didn't have a fall until 50 minutes into the match almost. Mm-hmm. Um, they went 50 minutes with just very close calls, obviously, some near falls, some near submissions. But finally, out of nowhere, Trish hits Lariat Tubman, gets the first gets the first pinfall, um, and then you know a few minutes later, Tony comes back with the uh, the repeated knees into the ground, a la Jonathan Gresham, as DC said said on the commentary, very much a Jonathan Gresham thing to do. Um, and then you know it all kind of climaxes in the final seconds as. You know, Trish, after working on Tony's arm and shoulder for for close to an hour, locks in the crossface, can't get the submission, rolls it into a crucifix, gets the pinfall with three seconds left on the clock. Um, were any of the did any of the falls particularly stand out to you? Um, both of Trish's really. Like I I thought that this match actually was going to go into overtime just because. I mean, they had already been wrestling for 50 minutes before there were any falls. But then, like you said, immediately after Trisha's first fall, uh, Tony got one in. Um, so I was like, there's no way that they are going to um, uh, not have a tie by 60 minutes. But yeah, the three second last minute fall it just really stood out to me just because it had, I, I, I wasn't quite expecting it. In fact, I thought he had actually broken out just right before the ref had um, 
reached the three count, so I was expecting a two. <laughs> um, but no, I I just uh, didn't quite see it. Um, and yeah, so she got it, and that was that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and like immediately you see like the joy and like mm-hmm. the mixture of shock and joy on on her face after getting that once again going back to the the emotional uh, communication skills of mm-hmm. of Trish without even saying a word there um yeah like i the the first fall is what stood out to me just because of like the lariat tubman first off such a good name for a finisher yeah it's just it's it just rolls off the tongue so well um but you know, if that move has been so widely protected throughout Trisha's run um, through Fight Club, winning the championship and then defending it in other places, um, that it, you know, it, it carries a certain weight to it. So, and and she has the ability to kind of, to hit it out of nowhere, you know, because it, it's it's just a lariat, but it's not just a lariat, you know. So, like having that snap point where like you just all of a sudden you have it hit and you get a pinfall like i i love moves that you can just kind of hit Mm. like that out of so many different situations and out of nowhere and just leaves you with a bit of shock even though you know exactly what's happening as soon as it gets hit um based off of how you've been conditioned to accept it um that was awesome i was i i didn't think that this was going to go to overtime just because um I thought that they were going to use the um, the little bit of storytelling from the previous match with Tony and uh, Jordan Oliver as like a way to possibly tease that that it would go there, but it wouldn't actually. Mm. Because you know that's what happened with the two hour match was that it was it was a one hour match between with Deppin and Oliver um, that ended in a three three tie. And then Jordan demanded another hour uh, because he didn't want to retain the championship on a tie. So, like, because of that, you are automatically tailored going into this, knowing how deep it went and without a fall. And then to see two falls happen within, like, a few minutes of one another, leading to, like, a five-minute stretch where we might be going to overtime, we might not. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really... It is definitely, like the style of an iron match to have those last five minutes be nail biters, obviously, but knowing Tony's match with Jordan went the way that it did. Like it definitely fed in. I could feed into that mindset of this could easily go to overtime. And that totally makes sense. Cause um, actually I was going to ask you, have I seen Tony wrestle before? Which obviously I have just, I was in and out of the r- that the room for that match. Um, the two hour um, iron match. Mm-hmm. Um, So not having that context necessarily, I was, you know, sort of waiting for uh, an extension. Mm -hmm. And there was one other time that you did see Tony wrestle, actually. Oh. Um, Well, I guess, yeah, he did did one move. Um, He was uh, around for the Twink Gauntlet at the Big Gay Brunch. (laughs) Um, he didn't actually wrestle in the match, but he was. Remember the end of the match where uh, where someone got in and screamed, "I love the Twinks!" and then super kicked Paro. Uh huh. That was Tony Deppin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tony Deppin is, is great. Um, and so yeah, he's just he's just he's just a joy to watch. He's just so funny, 
even whenever he's being a, a heel. I don't know. There's just so many different aspects of him that's entertaining because like you have that part of his personality, and then like he's an excellent technical wrestler. You know, he can fly. He is so many, he's just an all around awesome talent. It's no wonder that he's been showing up in in Ring of Honor as of late. Um, and also should be noted, Trisha Dora train training at the Ring of Honor dojo right now. You know, mm. we, we don't know the status of Women of Honor really. I mean, it's still around, but the the championship seems to be a little bit on ice at the moment. Um, so, but if it ever gets resurrected, like Trish is there training training with them at, at their school, and would be a very valuable addition uh, if that division was uh, was resurrected in a in a way that um, was. Uh, any way, shape, or form better than, than the first iteration of it. Um, but I don't know. Like the, all that being said, like this match as a whole um, was amazing. Personally, like I, a lot of people have been talking about it as a match of the year contender already. Um, I don't know where you would, where that would land with you. I mean, I could definitely see it for sure. Yeah. I also feel like I'm spoiled because you generally pick out really good matches for me to watch. So, I mean, I can find a bad one <laughs> if you really want me to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to save that for some time yes. uh, at some point. Well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Maybe. <laughs> um, I don't like subjecting you to bad matches, though. So I think. All of y'all should tweet Brian the worst match in wrestling. Oh God! <laughs> I already know what I I have plenty of options in my head right now, and I'm pretty sure that if look the wrestling community will definitely fulfill that goal. <laughs> Send them my way. I'm down. It uh, although I will go ahead and say don't suggest anything from Heroes of Wrestling. I know about Heroes of Wrestling. Um, I'll tell you about that one off air. <laughs> Okay. Um, I know about Heroes of Wrestling, so I already have that in my brain. Of God. Anyway. All right, Yens. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Um, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at Quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get five days free. Check out that service. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LGBT RingPod. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, 
the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. Interesting to me, though, the, the post-match here, because Trish wins, Tony, um, you know, like, bring like waits for Trish to, to stand up and then kind of, um, kind of talks to, to talk, like, I don't know what the right word is with, with this. It's basically, like, almost like a... a a validation, a recognition sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, where Tony's like, you know, like I, so he's talking about inner, about uh, mixed gender wrestling and, you know, all the, the negativity that a lot that people invoke around the, the rise and prominence of, of mixed gender matches um, in pro wrestling over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically says like, yeah, Trish, like you can hang with any, man that I've been in the ring with, you can, you hung with me. Um, and you know, you are going to be a huge thing in this business, in this industry. How did that moment hit you per like in in any way? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I get why he had that moment. I just also, I don't necessarily think that it was necessary um, because like you said before, like it was super apparent just watching this match that Trish Trish is there. Um, So I don't think that you really need to call it out more saying, Hey, you're a woman. Welcome to man club. Um, And that's not, (laughs) you know, obviously. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. I don't, I don't want to belong to man club. That sounds like a boring club. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously that's not really, really what he was going for. Um, I kind of get lost with that, though. Like, I don't I don't appreciate the match because Trish is a woman fighting a man. I appreciate the match because of the, the chemistry that the two wrestlers bring, like... Sex, gender identity doesn't matter um, for me. Um, But also just like since I've started watching wrestling to you, I've just seen a lot of mixed gender matches. Um, So, you know, I think that it's good for him to be pointing that out for people who aren't in my position, who are not used to watching mixed gender matches it also just strikes me as extra. Um, also, it's weird because I'm I'm absolutely assuming that most of these matches are called Iron Man matches, which does not roll off the tongue like I feel Iron Match does. Yeah, personally. Yeah, this is where we should get into this conversation because, like, yes, for the history of pro wrestling, this match was commonly referred to as Iron Man match, um, mainly because. You know, welcome to Man Club. God damn it! 
Yes, welcome to Man Club. Um, and then obviously, uh, whenever Sasha and Bailey had theirs in WWE, it was called an Iron Woman match. Whoop de doo. And whenever this match was announced, <laughs> it kind of did leave some people up in the air about what to call it. Um, at first, because there were some people that are saying like Iron Person match, and like you want to talk about something that does not roll off the tongue, <laughs> Iron Person match, and so like Iron Match just feels it felt right for this match, and honestly, it it feels right going forward. Yeah, as we're starting to kind of blur these lines of like separation based on gender identity within pro wrestling, in in ways that you know honestly like really didn't need to exist in the first place. Um. If you if you really think about the nature of pro wrestling, yeah. Well, how did that how did that make you feel to kind of see that that uh, position being taken with them taking the the gender the gender language out of the match itself? Um, I mean, I thought that was positive. Um, it definitely rolls off the tongue better or it rolls out the tongue better than um, Iron Man match or Iron Woman match or Iron Person match. Um, so I don't know. It just felt really natural for them calling it that. Like, I know we've talked about Iron Man matches before, but I had no hesitancy just saying Iron Match to describe this match this entire time. So just feels natural. Yeah, same here. And, and I'm... I'm all all aboard that train. Um, as for the the end of the match, like from the the exchange with Tony and Trish there, like I'm with you. Like it did feel a little bit extra, but I also realized that I'm coming from a, a position where I have already like seen the glory of the mixed gender uh, pro wrestling movement in a way, and like mm-hmm. it's not it's something that's normalized for me. So I it's not that moment really wasn't for me in the same way that it wasn't for you, right? At the same time, though, it's a very fine line where, like, some of that language can come across a little gatekeepy, um, to in certain ways. But yeah. it also, you know, in the context of that moment specifically, it it wasn't. It just it it runs it it runs a line in a way, though. Um, Why don't you think that was gatekeepy? Because I feel. I feel like that was mainly based upon uh, Tony's um, career, you know, being having a longer time in the ring than Trish. You know, Trish has only really been wrestling um, since 2016, and Tony's been in the ring longer. That's really the only thing. It, it kind of ties into the whole like veteran, like giving the the new person um, the like the endorsement mm-hmm. in a way. So and, and it's a very common trope in in pro wrestling as well. So yeah. like in that way, I can you know I it doesn't like land as as much in that way. But like I said, like that language can very easily dovetail into like straight up gatekeeping. Yeah, because I mean, sure, it is a common trope, but in that common trope, they aren't specifically saying you as a woman can roll with any of the men that I fought in the past. So. Um, and I also, again, don't have that wrestling history. Like, I've been re- watching wrestling probably since Trish started, if you're saying 2016. Yeah. Um, so, like, she's been wrestling the entire time I've been watching wrestling. So, <laughs> but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I do understand, like, why that would, you know, that's still, like, new career and everything. Newer. Um, 
But yeah, as soon as you said it, see, it can be a little bit gatekeeping. Um, I don't know that. I I wonder if that's kind of why I was uh, a little bit hesitant mm-hmm. with the way it ended. I don't. Again, I don't think that it was um, bad for it to have ended that way. Especially again, you know, for people who um, aren't in my positionality who haven't been watching mixed gender wrestling for the entire time they've been watching wrestling. Um, And, you know, especially for men who may still look down on women's wrestling, I think that it was a good moment for them. Um, And hopefully showing, you know, that women's wrestling is just wrestling, you know? Yeah. It's all wrestling when you get down to the, like, real nitty-gritty of it. It is, of course. Yeah. But I don't, I, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. It just, it hasn't always felt like, I mean, it's, it's like how people talk about women's basketball. Yeah. That's still basketball. They are still amazing athletes, but for some reason it's like seen as lesser. And when I've talked with other people about wrestling, like outside of our um, regular, social circle um like i feel like it's still kind of seen that way but maybe i'm just not talking to the right people you know i mean yes there in previous eras women's wrestling especially in america did not get the the same respect as um you know men's wrestling did um i would say that's definitely changed a lot in the mainstream perception of it over the past decade Specifically through, you know, the rise of so many great um, female talents on the independent circuit, as well as, you know, the the big the big boys like WWE mm-hmm. taking a more serious approach to how they present their women. Yeah. Because the women that they signed and, and brought in wanted to be portrayed in a more serious light. You know, I, yeah. I was watching WWE just put out a... a uh, interview where uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin interviewed Sasha Banks, and you know she talked about coming to WWE in the early aughts or in the early uh, 2010s, and you know she wanted to be a pro wrestler. That was her plan A and only plan was to be a pro <laughs> wrestler. But she did not want to go into a company where, um, you know, where the women's main. Uh, main presentation point was either like bra and panties matches or like being the five minute match in the middle of the card before the main event mm-hmm. or like the popcorn match or the bathroom match or stuff like that. And you know, like that was not what she wanted to do. She wanted to be a, a kick-ass pro wrestler and, you know, with people like her and Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch and, and Bailey and so many other talents that have come through WWE in the past 10 years, they really pushed that perception of what women's wrestling can be. Now that is not solely on WWE as much as they would like to say that it is Uh, shout out women's revolution, apparently. Um, But you know, it it should be said like there, there was a a major point there for, for where that, that turn started to happen, but it, it grew more and more on the independent circuit. And I think that it, um, it, because of what happened on on the indies and and you know we already had a very strong 
women's wrestling scene in Japan, very strong in Mexico. Mm. So, like, it just, you know, women just took charge of how they wanted to be presented in, in a lot of ways. And that I really appreciate. Yeah. I guess I'm just still stuck on hearing people say things like, I watch wrestling for the divas. And and that's more what I, I'm sort of referring to. Because, like, you know, that still gets said. And, yeah. there's, you know, it's it, not inherently bad. It's just there's more to it than that. Yes. I mean, wrestling has always had a, a sex appeal factor to it. But it's so... It, the, the male gaze aspect of it has definitely died down or been dialed down somewhat yeah it has it's not all the way there but but yeah like the people there will always i think there will always be people that are like i'm i watch for the divas <laughs> like the bra and panties matches woo, or, you know that sort of thing you know there's, there's always going to be people that are like that and it sucks that there are because like they um come to this topic with a very juvenile mind and you would hope that at some point you know be able to actually see people as people but but on the whole um women's pro wrestling is probably at its healthiest point particularly in america um Mm -hmm. than it ever has been um in the in the history of it um that being said though uh obviously that's going to lead into the mixed gender stuff and i'm very happy that we're seeing more places you know adopt it and more people like normalize it because like it, like we said before, at the end of the day, wrestling is wrestling. And it doesn't matter who you're, especially with the nature of wrestling, it doesn't matter who you step into the ring with. You can find a way to tell a story. You can find right. a way to have a match that can captivate an audience. You know, so yeah, like I, th- this moment was not, that moment was not for us. It was for the people that continue to, God, I just keep <laughs> the deep the, the it was for the it was for the the i just watched it for the divas people and, in a way yeah and you man know. club people <laughs> yes, and, and man club people and also the people that think that that view mixed gender wrestling as like a as like a simulation of domestic violence which is mm. is, is an argument that i've you know been always a little bit weirded out by in in a way personally um, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. Did, did any, what did you, was there anything on that that you wanted to, to comment on? About, um, sorry, I'm stuck on people saying they're like comparing wrestling to like reenacting domestic violence. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, that's something that I, that I put out there. Like definitely if you had thoughts on that, cause I don't know if we've ever actually discussed that. We haven't discussed it. I'm not surprised to hear that, um, necessarily just you know because people interpret things in different ways um i think my thought process was just my thought process was just kind of uh drawn away from uh, like when i heard that mm-hmm. yeah sorry no 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 it's not bad <laughs> i just i don't think i have other um strong thoughts because like i said before um like yeah that moment necessarily wasn't necessarily for me but i still think that it was important even yes. if it wasn't for me Yes, it was. De- it definitely was important, and overall, this the whole match was important in in that same way. Um, um, was there any final takeaways as we start to wind down here? Um, any final takeaways from the match? Like anything you'd want to see in the future? Would you want to see them go for another hour at some point down the line? I would definitely watch uh, another Iron match with the two of them. 
Um, I, like I said, I thought they had really great chemistry. I was um, enthralled the entire match, even though I was going into it um, pretty tired. So, yeah, that would definitely be something I would watch again. Um, I don't have strong takeaways. I'm still stuck on this domestic violence thing. And <laughs> partly, partly just because, like, one thing... Sorry for getting back to that, oh, but no, one thing that you mentioned about that was that that like this match might break those perceptions. I don't know if I fully agree. I feel like that would just put another like a different view on how people might say that this is like domestic violence because women could perpetuate domestic violence or like, you know, be the perpetrator in domestic violence situations against men. Um I don't know. I'm just stuck on. Well, I mean, the here's the major argument for me with, with that is that like it it's whether you you know are like believe in in the magic of pro wrestling or if you understand that it's a simulated you know predetermined thing. Uh huh. At the end of the day, these are two consenting people. They're two consenting athletes right. in a ring that know what they are doing and they are prepared to compete against each other in an athletic physical contest. Right, and that's where it boils down to me. There, it's like, look, the, if as long as you understand the 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 concept of consent, yeah, I think that you understand that this is not simulated domestic violence, and that's why I think it's just struck me so much because I have only seen this as consent, like yeah. you know, I think, you know, I know that there's um, aspects of it where, um people might slap uh, the floor to make it seem like the slap on on their opponent was a lot harder than it was. Um, so there is like that simulated aspect of it, but also like, you know, people are still making contact with each other. People could still very easily be injured. Yeah. Um, but it's the consent behind it. That's important. Um, yeah. yeah. And I mean, and honestly for me, that, that, negates that argument almost immediately um especially whenever you look at so many other moments in pro wrestling that were um i think perpetuate those sort of you know ideas where the with the mistreatment of of women mistreatment of marginalized genders uh -huh. um beyond like an actual wrestling match that yeah. are way more problematic than just having a, a woman fight a man or or have a just not even that just a just mixed gender match in general because obviously gender's not a binary, um, so yeah. And I think kind of where I uh, separate the two, of course, is the actual matches versus like old WWE storytelling moments where they have men suddenly come in and like beat up a bunch of women yeah um that kind of stuff like that i mean i guess yes people are still consenting in that situation but that isn't necessarily a wrestling match yeah it's a storytelling plot and um i would see that i don't know if i want to really go into this point um i could see that i compare that to like writers putting rape into stories just to move the story along, but not really having anything in depth to say yeah. or express about that. Yeah. No, I, 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 I understand what you're, what you're saying. And, and I think, 
I definitely agree with you on that. You know, like the first thing that popped in my head were like the HLA. That's what I was segments. thinking of too. Yeah. yeah, like that sort of stuff where it's just it's just men beating up women for no reason really. Like queerphobia, also. Yes, yeah, uh, also queerphobia it, it tied into that. Also, a distinctly like mis a distinct misunderstanding of the definition of queerness in in, in many ways. Also, <laughs> yes, because lesbians that are also bisexual. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I am so happy that um, I have friends that dug up the uh, the old HLA clip of uh, the bisexual lesbians thing because Jesus Christ, pro wrestling. Uh, anyway, um, any final thoughts on, on the match? No, not not really. Yeah. Um, how about you? I I loved it. I'm here for it. I, I, I would definitely watch these two go at it again. I would love to see it with the title on the line. Just to add mm. a little bit more gravitas uh-huh. to it, um, and you know, honestly, take—I would love to see either of these two in an iron match with other people as well, because obviously they can go. Um, and I know that um, you know Trish is due for a defense in Fight Club at some point. Never Fight Club runs again, and you know there are plenty of people on that Fight Club roster that. Uh, that I think would be able to to hang in in the style of match mm-hmm. as well. So I don't know. I'm curious to see. Keep me posted if you see anything. I definitely will. Well, uh, thank you, sweetie. <laughs> thank you for having me. Awesome. So well, we're gonna take a break real quick. We'll come back and hit a little bit of current events because there's there's one thing at least that I, that I need to talk get some thoughts out about uh, before we end the show. But we'll be right back. Uh, LGBT in the ring. All right, y'all. Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. Um, first and foremost, uh, thanks as always to Casey for for coming on the show and uh, chatting about whatever wrestling thing that we are chatting about. Uh, whenever they do come on, it's always I don't know. It's fun to have them on. Uh, I hope you enjoy it as well. Um, so just wanted to talk about a couple of things before we ended the show here today. Um. It's been some stuff in in current events in wrestling news that I felt um, needed to be discussed here um, on the show. Uh, First and foremost, uh, the wrestling world was shocked by a couple of uh, deaths this week. Um, The unfortunate passing of uh, independent pro wrestler DK Meadows, as well as pro wrestler Joseph Hudson, uh, probably known better to wrestling audiences as Josephus or the question mark um, in the NWA uh, is heavy hearts and all of the um, condolences go out to the families and and the communities where they really um, cultivated a, uh, with so many um, wrestler and fan alike, um, you know, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed Hudson's work on NWA, and you know, DK is someone that I have, I admittedly had not seen a lot of his stuff. Um, I, I most know him from his appearances with uh, Fight Club Pro Wrestling out of DC, and um, but the response from from his death has been monumental in showing the kind of person that 
he was to those in the business and in the promotions that he worked for and just an outstanding guy. Um, very loving, heartwarming guy who just wanted to see a better world. Um, both uh, Hudson and, and DK will be sorely missed by this industry. Um, uh, we also can't get out of here without talking a little bit about the Marty Skrull situation that is unfolding right now involving New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, earlier today, uh, Fightful reported that Skrull was backstage at the recent uh, tapings of New Japan's Strong show that's recorded uh, at the LA Dojo here in America and features mostly American talent. Um, though that report um, claimed that they, they did not exactly know why he was there and if he had any involvement in the program. Further reporting from uh, Fanbytes' Emily Pratt um, had a uh, anonymous source claim that Skrull did participate in the tapings there and actually um, recorded an angle, a post-match angle, involving Rocky Romero, uh, potentially to set up a match of some sort. So obviously this is some uh, distressful news considering the uh, individual situation with Marty Skrull amid the larger situation of speaking out. Obviously Skrull had accusations come out last June uh, of sexual assault sexual assault against a um, 16-year-old girl in England and uh, basically admitted to it in multiple statements. Following that, uh, an investigation at Ring of Honor ended up in him leaving the company, um, leaving his position uh, in creative as well. And, um, you know, his popping up with, with New Japan has raised some questions for a lot of people, raised uh, more concerns for a lot of people as well, and uh, rightfully so. Um, you know, I've already seen some people online um, say, say that they are deleting their New Japan World accounts in response to, to this, and, um, you know, that that speaks um, volumes, I think, in the situation. Um, obviously, this is not the first time that New Japan has really been in a situation where they have chosen to, if, if the reports are true, and Skrull does appear on NJPW Strong, um, this would not be the first time that New Japan has um, dealt with people who have credible allegations against them um, that were that came up during speaking out or just in general you know on this show every time that we discuss will osprey which you know is not that often but he does come up from time to time when we cover new japan shows here uh, but every time osprey comes up you know there's a reason why we preface every discussion with the fact that there are credible allegations against him for blackballing uh Pollyanna in response to allegations of sexual assault from her against um, someone close to him. Um, you know, like, these people are present on, on New Japan's roster, and it seems like there's been a lot of indifference from New Japan to having um, abusers and, and people, or alleged abusers on their uh, on their 
roster. You know, um, it's personally frustrating because giving performers that, you know, had credible allegations against them, um, whether it be speaking out or, or before or after, um, giving them a platform like this is simply um, enabling them and creating an atmosphere where accountability um, comes second to whatever else it may be, whether it be bottom line, popularity, you know, if you're a good wrestler, like, I'm sorry, like, there are too many voices out there, too many survivors out there that um, need to have their voice heard on this sort of situation, and the blatant indifference to the uh, allegations against Skrull in this whole situation is... um, real real gross uh, personally i'm just gonna i'll just put it that way it, it 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 rubs me the wrong way as someone who thoroughly enjoys the the new japan product i the the wrestling comes second in these situations like real people were hurt real people were abused and no amount of umbrellas or chicken wings or whatever is is enough for Skrull to be given the platform of New Japan once again. At least not at this point. We're not even a year. Not even a year into this. And already we're seeing multiple companies turning a blind eye to this sort of thing. You know... I mean, look at WWE with Velveteen Dream. You know, look at um, you know, AEW's um, Silence of Darby Allen. Like, it's it's just one of those things where these large pro wrestling companies, and small, like, there are independent promotions that are also still booking abusers. And, but at some point, the people outside of the ring have to matter. And what constitutes those people needs to be put under the microscope and and really examine how having those people on your programs, in your events, on your television um, really reflects back on you. You know, I know that corporations, businesses aren't people. They don't have souls. They don't have consciences. But the people running them do, and maybe it's time they tapped into that a little bit and and maybe listen to the audience, or at least the portion of the audience that is um, trying to stand up for the brave survivors that spoke out and told their stories. Um, We'll see if if Skrull actually does appear on, on Strong, you know, who knows, maybe maybe the backlash or some kind of response from the wrestling community and will amount to something. I mean, I don't know, like looking at how things have played out over the past year since speaking out, I, I won't hold my breath. And and I hate that. I feel that way. I hate that. I feel pessimistic about it. Um, 
I don't know. It's just it's just really frustrating to see all of this happen. Um, but also, it seems like there are people there that in New Japan that, or at least at, at the LA Dojo and the tapings there that are surprised that Skrull was there and that Skrull was involved. And you know, I don't. You never know how much voice the wrestlers have in in organizations the size of New Japan. But one would hope maybe somebody has the right person's ear and, and can really convince them that things need to be addressed. And you really need to look at how involving someone like Skrull in your programming can reflect back on your product and can really um, discourage a portion of the audience that has been very supportive of your company and very supportive of your, of your product um, to walk away from it. You know, I, I'm sure that there will be more people that walk away from it. I I don't know if it'll be enough to affect new Japan's opinion on it. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know. It's just immensely frustrating to see this happen. Um, But at the same time, you know, we have to continue supporting survivors. We have to continue um, being vigilant about you know holding promotions and and pro wrestling companies major companies accountable with these situations um you know, it, it should be it, it new japan should take a look at what ring of honor did with that investigation and and why they um let marty walk after giving him the contract that they gave him and giving him the the positions of power that they gave him you know they invested heavily in marty scroll yet once the evidence was out there and and once everything kind of was laid out, they parted ways. And we'll see what happens with New Japan. I don't know. I don't know. We'll keep we'll keep monitoring it, but um it's a, God, I did not want to end such a positive show on such a terrible note um but uh i guess that paul white signing was cool right anyway um that's gonna do it for us here this week on the show um but come back next week we're we're gonna be jumping into march which is a fun month we're a few weeks away from cassandro cup we got oh tonight also don't forget to check out enjoy wrestling's first show um going live on on their YouTube channel. That's going to be pretty sweet. A lot of LGBTQ talent in that show, including the recently uh, com- coming out uh, Ziggy Heim, which will be rad. Also, Mr. Grimm, MV Young, um, Solo Darling, and of course, the recently announced Acid Cup 3 participant, still alive for the Apricots and Pears. An outstanding lineup there. It's going to be great to watch. Um, but with that... We're going to say goodbye for this week, but make sure to come back next week and, and we'll have some more fun with pro wrestling and, and much like the, uh, the majority of today's show, um, crossing fingers, but until then y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear your mask and a happy retirement to Corinne Mink.
Bye.